Amen, amen. Thanks so much, Sarah. Um, she was uh, stepping in and, and appreciate her leadership and wanted to do that because we recognize you guys are well on, away on spring break and uh, didn't want to have anyone to think about anything additional coming into chapel just to come and sit and receive. So welcome back, everybody. Um, hope you had a great spring break. Hope it was uh, hopefully restful, memorable, um, and hope you got some extra sleep as we're gearing up for our fourth quarter of this year in our fourth quad. And so as we're beginning a new quad and finishing out this semester, um, we're beginning a new series over the next couple weeks in, uh, called Gospel Reflections. And just going to be walking through some of the key moments of Jesus's life and ministry. And uh, before I talk about this week and set that up a little further, one new thing, one new announcement um, that you'll notice right away, not right now, but on your way out later in a few, you know, 40, 40 minutes, 30 minutes from now, we got new, some new chapel scanners um, were installed. So, okay. It's good, it's good news. It's good news. Um, and so just real, real quick, you, nothing that new that you need to do except for in terms of your ID. It's still the proxy, so you still have to get it up there. But here's the thing. Um, it has a readout display, and it'll say accepted or it'll say denied, okay? So, all right, another good news. All right, real quick, real quick, real quick. Everyone, everyone repeat after me. Beep. Beep. Great. If you hear that, you've got credit, all right? If you don't hear a beep, look, make sure you look and check, and make sure you look and check every time, because you'll, you'll hear the beep when you get credit. If you don't hear a beep, it didn't go through or it was denied. So make sure uh, that you take a notice of that on the way out. So for this week, um, I'm excited to kick us off this morning as a look at just one of the opening introductions of one of the Gospels. Uh, tomorrow we have Nikosha Wynn. You maybe recognize her. She was one of the worship leaders from the Bluegrass Church, uh, blue, from Bluegrass, Blue Oaks. Bluegrass is still fun, too, from Blue Oaks. And, uh, and so she's going to be uh, sharing tomorrow. Wednesday, we have Pastor Chris Osmus from uh, Vertical Church, the church that uh, myself and my wife go to, Thursday Prayer Chapel, and then we have one of our student bands leading us in Praise Chapel. So uh, to kick us off this morning, we invited uh, Christina Mayankova, uh, our, chapel, our chapel assistant. Uh, to read for us this morning's text and pray for us. So I want to invite you, would you just stand out of honor of, of the Word of God and just listen and dial in uh, this morning. Yes, so I'll be reading Mark 1, 1 through 15. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all of the country of Judea and all Jer Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the, straps, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. 
And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I just thank you so much that you're here where two or three are gathered, that you're here in this place, that God, your name is glorified in this place. Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts and our minds to what Justin um, is going to speak today? You're going to speak through him. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us as we walk about every single day? May we look to you in every single circumstance that we go through in life, God. And even through all the storms, God, thank you so much for the reminder in your word that you are with us, that you'll never leave us or forsake us, no matter what we're going through, Jesus. You're so amazing, and we praise you for who you are. And in your son's name, we pray. Amen. 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 May be seated. Thank you so much, Christina. Well, I wanted to uh, begin uh, the Gospel Reflection Series uh, by looking at the opening uh, lines of the shortest gospel and the fastest-paced gospel, Mark's gospel, the first one, actually, that was written. And, uh, and so if, if you ever read the Gospel of Mark, uh, there's a word immediately. It just says immediately this happened, immediately this happened, immediately this happened. It, re it almost reads like, like an action-adventure uh, movie. Like it just goes, it's very quick-paced, it's very fast-paced. Um, and, and so it's going to be kind of, we're going to get that feeling and that tone of the text is going to come through today in today's message. But before we get back into the text, I need to share just by way of introduction and setting this up. I've, I found that we as Christians surprisingly disagree and divide on something that is intended to bring us and to keep us together. While this is core to Christianity, it's been troubling for me to grasp how followers of Christ do not find a central place of community here. And what I'm talking about is the gospel. Now this may be a familiar term for you or maybe over familiar. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot in our Christian circles with a lot of assumption that everyone else knows and assumes what is being talked about. Now the word gospel simply means good news. So it would seem odd then that good news would bring about division instead of unity. Good news is something that is meant to be shared and more often than not would be welcomed and received with enthusiasm. Yet I've been troubled by the notion that Christians touting a sort of, a sort of gospel fluency would be at such odds with one another when it comes to this all important and biblical term. But what I want to propose this morning as we kick off this gospel reflection series in chapel is that I think we tend to think of the gospel more in terms of the what. We tend to focus on the content of the gospel, the doctrine or the teaching of the gospel. The gospel is something that is meant to be declared and proclaimed. And now, don't get me wrong, while this is very important and absolutely essential to the nature of the gospel, I wonder if we have a tendency to overemphasize the what of the gospel to the neglect of the who of the gospel. Or rather, 
I think we maybe reverse the order. What I believe we'll see in this morning's text, in this opening passage of Mark, is that the gospel is first a who before it's a what. The gospel is not just marked by content, but character. Not just something to be declared, but a life to be demonstrated. Not just a presentation, but a person. So what is the gospel? Or rather, more importantly, who is the gospel? And friends, Jesus Christ is the gospel. And so as we dive in, uh, we're going to be camping out in the verses that are up on the screen, verses 14 to 15. But before we do that, I think it'll be helpful for us to explore for a few moments the opening context Mark gives that leads up to these two short gospel in a nutshell verses. Yet as we do, I will give a brief principle of how I think this passage that Christina just read, how we can live a gospel-centered, gospel-focused, and gospel-infused life. In summary, the passage shows us four ways how the gospel can be demonstrated in our lives. Another way to put it, this passage shows us four stages to a movement of the gospel. And it can be summed up in these four words. Preparation, consecration, temptation, and proclamation. So let's dive in. First is preparation. Everyone say preparation. Preparation. So Mark opens with this line, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And in order for something to be uh, as monumental as the good news of Jesus to begin, proper preparations need to be made. The answer? Jesus' crazy, camel hair, leather belt wearing, locusts and wild honey eating cousin shows up as a fulfillment of a 700-year-old prophecy from Isaiah as the messenger of the one who is the voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Preparations need to be made. Now, a lot could be said here, but in short, John was the forerunner, Jesus was the front man. John was the preparer, Jesus was the fulfiller. Mark was written to Roman Gentiles, so in the Greco-Roman world, the word gospel was a familiar term. For example, before a king would enter into the city after coming back from a victory um, or of a military battle, uh, there would be a messenger that would be sent ahead of him to declare the victory and the coming of the king into the city. So as Mark's original audience would be familiar with this flow, as he applies it now to the coming of Jesus into uh, the scene and into human history. So here's the gospel principle. We're called to be gospel forerunners. We're called to be gospel forerunners. Just as John was the forerunner to the first coming and public ministry of Jesus, the, we as the body of Christ and the people of God are called to be forerunners of Jesus' second coming and the eternal reign of Jesus Christ. So that's preparation. Preparations were made. Second stage is consecration. Everyone say consecration. Consecration. Okay, maybe an unfamiliar term or word we don't use very often, but this next phase of consecration simply means an act of dedication of one's, of, of one's life to the service and the worship of God. So this takes place through the mode of baptism. So here's God's PR plan. He said he's going to send John, the forerunner, to go out into the wilderness where it's hot, inconvenient, and uncomfortable to proclaim a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And as counterintuitive as our contemporary minds would find it, the text says the plan worked because it says that all of Jerusalem and Judea were going out into the wilderness. And yet as John was growing in popularity while preaching an unpopular message, we're reminded that his message and his baptism were still preparatory and subservient. John's role was to decrease so that Jesus could increase. 
Consecration is marked by humble submission because what God can do in and through you is immeasurably greater than whatever you could try to produce on your own. So we see here that another thing is that our identity and our purpose are not something that we achieve or earn, but something that we receive and embrace through faith. So we see here a beautiful picture of the Trinity in these verses. That in verse, these verses says that the heaven is torn open at Jesus' baptism, a foreshadowing of the curtain being torn open at Jesus' crucifixion. And then the Spirit descending on Christ like a dove, and the Father's voice booming from heaven, declaring that this Jesus is God's Son, my Son, with whom I am well pleased. Which, by the way, and I know some, some of you, uh, you know, snicker or make fun of the way that I always call you beloved, right? That's fine. I love that. That's great, actually, okay? Can I just say this, though? This is the reason why. Because when I address you, I want you to hear how God sees you. You need to know every single day, every single multiple times a day to be loved, that you are beloved in God's sight. That is your identity. So I can address you as guys, as people, as students. Nothing wrong with any of those, but I want you to hear from God who you are in him. So that's the brief why, right? All right, that's consecration. All right, the next stage here, or the gospel principle rather here is that we see through John the Baptist, our lives are conduits of Christ. Our lives are not designated or designed to fill out our own fulfill our own purposes, agenda, or build our own kingdoms. Rather, we have been created in Christ and recreated to fulfill God's purposes, agenda, and to partner with Him in building His kingdom. So here's the third stop: is temptation. Everyone say temptation. Okay, you think what in the world is? Okay, this is just what's next here in the flow, right? But here's the next stop: is temptation. The text says that the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And as he was in the wilderness, we know what happened. For 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. Now, temptation is a work of the devil, while testing is a work of God. Yet God sovereignly often uses times of temptation as times of testing, and Jesus was no exception. You see, the purpose of testing is to produce deeper trust in God and to affirm our identity and purpose. And I love how Luke's version of this account in Luke 4, it says that Jesus was led out into the spirit, into the wilderness. He was tempted for 40 days, and, and, and then he came out of the other end and says he returned in the power of the spirit. So Jesus was tempted in every way that we are yet without sin, so that he would be the way for us to say no to sin and yes to him in the midst of our temptation. So here's the gospel principle. Expect opposition, but embrace testing. These testing times are a tool in the hand of our sovereign Father to purify us so that we too can walk in the power of the Spirit. And this leads us to the main focus, the simple gospel, proclamation. Everyone say proclamation. Proclamation, right? Here in Mark 14, verses 1, verses 14 and 15, it says, After briefly mentioning John's being arrested, in the midst of opposition and hardship, Jesus comes into Galilee, or rather, he comes back into Galilee after going out to John to be baptized out in the wilderness to be tempted. He comes back into his hometown, and he says right here, say it with me. He says, he said, proclaiming the gospel of God, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, what is the gospel of God? This is a phrase that's unique to Mark and not used in any of the other gospels. And it's interesting that in the Greco-Roman world, uh, the term gospel was always in the plural. So as to say that this is just one good piece of news or one good tiding amongst many other. But in the New Testament, it's always used in the singular, saying that this is the good news, the one that, is, that stands above and beyond all other. 
So this idea for Mark, the advent of Jesus is the beginning of the fulfillment of the good news that Isaiah was talking about 700 years prior. So in Mark's understanding, therefore, the gospel is more than just a set of truths or even a set of beliefs. It is a person. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, as he said in, in verse 1. And now the gospel of God, the kingdom of God, inaugurates this in the bodily presence of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And so this idea is that this good news of God, he's not saying the, the good news about God, but rather the good news from God that is made known in the person of Jesus Christ. This good news of God is thus the sum, the teaching, the proclamation will be further elaborated by the kingdom of God. And yet what we have here in verse 15, is just one verse, is the summary of Jesus' teaching. This is what he said, this is what he declared and would go on to demonstrate with his life. And so to break it down even further, what we have here are two, what we could call indicative statements, or they're statements about reality. They're statements of this is what is true, followed by two imperative statements or command saying this is what ought to be. So in other words, uh, Jesus first gives two gospel realities and then he gives two gospel responses. He brings revelation and then commands our response. And so we know that from the harmony of the gospel is that when Jesus showed up, the gospel showed up in person, the kingdom of God showed up in person, that his very own people completely missed it. Yet Jesus says here and declares with piercing clarity, not just what the gospel is, but who the gospel is. So for these next couple moments, let's lean in, listen up, and direct our full attention to these life-giving, soul-saving, and heart-reviving words. Here's the first gospel reality. He says, the time is fulfilled. Did you say that with me? The time is fulfilled. Now we need to make an important distinction here. There are two Greek words uh, that in the language and the, the, the New Testament was written in uh, that, that connote that we get the translation time. The first one is chronos, which we get our word chronology, right? That's what we see on the clock. Those are, those are the minutes. Conveys a linear time frame. So it'd be like saying chapel today end, uh, starts at a 10.30 and it ends at 11.10. <clears throat> Not 11.05, 11.10, all right? And so the second word, the second word is kairos, which conveys an appointed time or season or opportunity. It'd be like saying chapel is not just the time frame that we're in, it's, it's an opportunity to encounter God together in community, which that sounds like what the mission of chapel is because it, it is, okay? It's an opportunity to encounter God. So in other words, chapel is not marked by the minutes that we're sitting together in a room. It's marked by the moment or the opportunity that we have to encounter God together. So I can summarize it by putting it this way. Kronos is quantitative and marked by minutes and regimen. Kairos is qualitative and it's marked by moments and recognition. So, uh, in other words, the, the word here that Mark uses, that Jesus is saying that if this gospel proclamation is not chronos, but kairos. So what he's saying here is that the appointed time and season of opportunity of God's salvation plan has arrived. The prophecy of the coming Messiah is over because the Messiah is now here. The prophecies are fulfilled. Mark declares this as Jesus proclaims the gospel of God. This is the defining moment of human history that inaugurates the final phase of history. And so that's the first gospel uh, reality. The second gospel reality is this. The kingdom of God is near. Say that with me. The kingdom of God is near. So uh, the other side of the gospel reality coin, in light of time being fulfilled, this opportunity, this means the kingdom of God has come. 
So the concise way to think about the kingdom is think about this, the king's domain. And the king's domain would not be first realized within the political or military sphere as many had wrongly expected. Rather, it would begin small like a mustard seed and show in the rule and the reign of Christ over the hearts of men and women. Then their redeemed lives would give birth to new behaviors and they would saturate society with an ever-increasing Christ-likeness, being salt and light. So in other words, this linkage here of, of the kingdom is with Jesus' person. For in declaring the kingdom, he says that the kingdom of heaven is near, or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Everyone just hold out your hand. Okay? Do you see it? Do you, do you see your hand right there? Tell me, tell me. Say, I see it. I see it. All right? It's right there. So in other words, um, the, the time that saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand or is, or is here, it's not talking about a time frame. It's talking about a spatial so it's not talking about time distance, but spatial distance. In other words, the kingdom of God is, is at hand, and the kingdom of God is near, because Jesus is here. So while this reality was two 2,000 years ago, it is ever more today. And yet these two gospel realities demand a right response, which leads to the second two-sided coin of gospel responses. First one is this. He says, repent. Everyone say repent. repent. A little more gusto. Repent, okay? Now, one word, one command with eternal ramifications. Yet this one word carries some baggage that results in misunderstanding. You see, we often associate the word repent with condemnation. But as Jesus is using it, the first is word, the first, this word is first associated with restoration. So the idea behind this word repent is a changing or a turning of one's mind that results in life change. So he says the kingdom has come, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is here, it's near, it's at hand. He says repent, and then he says this, believe in the gospel. Everyone say that with me. Believe in the gospel. So now to the other side of the gospel coin, another one word command, he says believe. But note here that the object of belief is not God, but he says the gospel. So this again is further evidence that the gospel is not just a what, but it's a who. The gospel is not only a what contained in the right words. That, and then if, if, if the gospel is only a what contained in the right words, this can lead to a life of legalism marked by rightness. Don't get me wrong. Right words are absolutely necessary when proclaiming the good news. We are studying Jesus' words right here, today, this morning. But if the gospel is not just contained in the, in the what but also the who, then that will lead to a life of love marked by right living. So this is key. The gospel is both the what Jesus's words and the who Jesus's works. So if we put these two together, this idea of Jesus's proclamation, it's not meant to have that you live, it's not meant to be a singular moment in the past where you repented and you believed. This repentance and this belief is meant to be an ongoing uh, aspect of our walk. Think of it as two legs of a way of walking and living in the kingdom of God. The repentance and belief are pathways into the kingdom of God where the gospel is the way of living. So here's the gospel principle. The gospel is not just something to be declared, but someone to be demonstrated. It's not just words to be presented, but a person to be represented. The gospel holds the integrity of our words and works. And just, so if you think about it this way, repentance signifies what we turn away from. Belief then signifies what we turn to. So in God's kingdom, you continually turn from sin to the Savior. And I believe one of the main ways that the people of God need to repent myself included, is recognizing the glaring gap between what we declare and what we demonstrate with our lives. 
Jesus, we often emphasize Bible study to the neglect of Bible obedience. And I want to ask us, what sin is the Lord commanding you to turn from in order to turn to the Savior? Here's some specific examples that I was preparing and praying for this morning. In God's kingdom, we turn from being a critic to being an intercessor. We turn from gossip to gratitude. We turn from casting judgment to promoting justice. We turn from accusations to affirmations. We turn from fear of man to fear of God. We turn from pride to humility. We turn from greed to generosity. We turn from racism to reconciliation. We turn from fear to faith. We turn from ignorance to intimacy. We turn from the prideful platform of always needing to be right to a humble posture of right living. We turn from slander to sacrifice. We turn from lust to love. Most importantly, we turn from death to life. Beloved, the gospel makes this possible. And here's the greatest need of our world today is Jesus Christ living through a revived church. It's Jesus Christ living through you and me. And friends, before we close, I want to invite us to consider just some of the ways that just as a family meeting time, just some of the things that have happened in our own community and surrounding our community over the last couple weeks. And some things that, that we can turn from in order to turn to. One, I believe we need to turn from toxic social media. And I'm just going to uh, bring up on the screen a couple memes that were posted recently within our community of an Instagram page. And I bring this up to you not to, not to show, to shock you, not to shame or condemn anyone, but to say how often there is a gap between what we declare and what we demonstrate with our lives. And so we see here that this attack on a sister of Christ and a key leader of our university is done in the name of bringing the gospel back into chapel. Friends, this is not gospel. This is pharisaical. This is hypocritical. I want to know what gospel are we talking about here? And, 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 and here's the thing. I, what this tells me is that not only do whoever was involved with this, not only do they not know Nina Barnes, but they definitely don't know Jesus as well as they think they do. Let me also say this. I do, I do know Nina, but I also will first be the first to declare, I know that I also don't know Jesus as well as I think I do. This hits every single one of us. And so that this idea reveals, these are symptoms of deeper issues. Our true, we are, what we truly believe is marked by how we behave. And I get it, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, and I recognize that that there were, that, and, and, and just to, to bring it around a little bit, there, these, these posts were taken down and there was an apology that was made. And I want to commend that, that that is a right response, that is a step in the right direction, but it's only half of the equation. You're turning from, but what are you turning to? And I would say, if this, whether this is somebody else, but in this case, Nina deserves uh, an individual, a specific apolo apology. And so uh, we don't, and, and right, see, we need to turn from this, turn to reconciliation actually takes a turning too. It takes an actual personal contact with the person that was attacked or offended or hurt or wounded. And so we can't hide behind the, the, the safety of our social media platforms and actually come out and say, I'm really sorry, what I did was wrong. Not to the general, but to the person. And it's these little points of connection that happens that the gospel brings reconciliation. But this isn't the only place. Um, we also have been attacked in our, our, our university. And so the next, we need to turn from deceptive news headlines. 
So the next thing here, we, we know that in the media today, uh, Northwestern's being attacked, and that, we've, that we're sliding away from our conservative values, that we're no longer pro, uh, 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 pro-life because we don't attach ourselves to certain uh, other ministries or, or, or nonprofits. And, and here's the thing, um, how do we show up in moments like this? See, see, the first moment, it, it prompted us to, to, to repent of ways that we misrepresent Christ to one another. The other way this would prompt us to, re- way, to repent of ways we misrepresent Christ to the world around us. And most of the woundedness in the body of Christ is coming from friendly fire. We're shooting at ourselves. And here's what I say, uh, beloved, here's the, be- here's the good news. We're still beloved in the midst of our mess, okay? This, that's the good news of the gospel. We're still beloved in the midst of our mess. And so I, I want to say, can we make a covenant together to only promote kingdom content on our media, what we're looking at, what we're liking, what we're viewing, what we're forwarding, what we're sending, what we're saving? Let's promote kingdom content. And let's, instead of getting defensive and accusing and blame shifting, own where the Lord is leading and moving in our own lives and convicting us and live in a lifestyle of repentance and belief. We can go back to the scripture. So here's the thing. You know that this should not come as a surprise. Jesus himself was misunderstood, misrepresented, attacked, slandered, and conspired against as he endured false accusations, trials, and was condemned as a criminal to die a criminal's death on a cross. Yet all of this was so that he could redeem all of us from the tyranny of building our own kingdoms to truly live free in his kingdom. So may we recognize the times that we are living in surrender to Jesus' kingdom and live a lifestyle of repentance and believing in the gospel so that we can close the gap between what we declare with our mouths and demonstrate with our lives. And I want to invite us in our closing, uh, closing moments. And uh, I'm going to pray for us. And uh, our sister Sarah is just going to lead us in a song. And then if that, uh, during the song, if you need to go, uh, you're, you'll be free to. But I just want to pray for us. And I want to invite you that if you're saying, you know what, this morning, I, some, the Lord highlighted a way that I've misrepresented Christ to a brother or sister, or the way that I've misrepresented Christ to the world around me. If that's you, and I'm going to be the first one, so if I'm sitting down, I want to just invite you to stand. So, even in preparing for this, the Lord has highlighted ways that I've misrepresented Christ to my brothers and sisters, that I've misrepresented Christ to the world around me. So if that's you, I want to invite you to stand, and I want to pray, and then we're going to sing and recognize that we can come to that the God's gospel, that Jesus is a God of grace and he's God of truth and he's a God of love. And so Lord, I pray, God, for us as a community of faith, that we would walk in greater integrity and we would recognize in humility the ways that we have misrepresented Jesus, the ways that we have divided over the very thing that is to unite us, which is the gospel, which is you, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you and praise you that you are eternal. We thank you and praise you that you stepped out of eternity and into humanity, into time and space. We thank you that you were born of the most humble possible way, just as we were. We thank you that you were, lived a perfect, sinless life. We thank you that you died a sinner's death in our place. Thank you that you rose again from the dead. Thank you, Jesus, that you ascended into heaven, that you're seated at the right hand of God right now interceding for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you've given us the Holy Spirit. And thank you, Jesus, that you're coming back again to judge the living and the dead. And everything that we have done will come under the light of your glory and grace. 
And it's only by your grace and by repentance and belief in the gospel that we are saved. And so Jesus, we surrender to you and we confess and repent. Help us to walk in humility, to declare and to demonstrate the gospel with our lives. We pray this 